So we'll discuss uh, some of the questions that uh, you had, some of you had. And I have to uh, remind you also, sometimes I don't read the questions properly, so I don't understand the meaning and I just go off. So if you see that uh, I have missed the point with the question, you, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a problem just to, to bring back the topic or to, to, say, to, 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 to say either uh, what you did not understand in the question or what you think that the question could have been. And you can uh, try to, uh, to improve or just to deal more directly with the question itself. <laughs> because I think last time I missed a few, uh, a few points. With the, some of the questions, I went. To, I went to straight. One question is that if the Buddha says friends are hundred percent of the good life uh, of the good in life, what does he or you say about family? Can you speak about family kamma? And is it like meditating with mice? So. Uh, here, first of all, is that the Buddha says that he doesn't says that he doesn't say that friends are hundred percent of the good in life. He says that uh, he says that uh, good friends are hundred percent of the good life, not the good in life. So what we get out of the life is not is uh, is coming from the friends, but. Uh, the friends themselves are not in the are not the, the highest good in the life. What the friends are giving to you, this is the highest good that you get in the life. Because eventually we have to become independent of friends. So a good friend also is somebody who will uh, <coughs> will uh, encourage you or will inspire you to develop uh, better qualities and just to help you to understand more what is the path. And uh, so he is a, he is a, he is a supporter for a spiritual uh, development especially. So in that sense, uh, uh, a good friend is, uh, is, is, is uh, essential and it is 100% of the, of the spiritual life. So here, uh, what can we say about family? So family, it depends on uh, which type of family you are in, but uh, so family are not necessarily supportive for a spiritual path. It can be, and also it can be very helpful because a healthy family uh, consists of members that are supporting each other. And uh, from the start, the parents are there to give the best uh, to their children and also children uh, properly or I mean, who are lucky to have a good upbringing also can support each other in many ways. So this is important. But uh, in regard to the spiritual uh, life, then uh, uh, family also has the has the, the potential to 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 to, uh, to lead to attachments and also uh, yes. It, so uh, the family members will try to keep you in the, in their view of the world. So if they don't have uh, some spiritual uh, development, then also they, they, they can they, they are not necessarily uh, friends in the sense that uh, we are talking about kalyanamitta, and we see also that uh, in some uh, biographies of uh, whatever religions, uh, people had to renounce their family and they didn't do the, the, the wish of their parents. And the Buddha is the first example of that. That means the, the family in that context were very supportive and they were wishing the, the, the best for the children or for the brothers, but uh, it was not uh, aimed at uh, spiritual development. So in that sense also family is not necessarily, uh, uh, it's, it's not always helpful. So also the family kamma, the fact that we are uh, born in a certain family, often it is uh, there is some relation uh, with uh, some karmic uh, con uh, karmic conditions that have been uh, that that have come from past life. So there is a relation sometimes with uh, with the family uh, dynamic. Here the term absorption is used to describe jhana. But what exactly does it mean? Please describe what absorption on animita consists of subjectively. And how is mindfulness 
known what is its role and subjective experience in absorption. So the term absorption is used to describe jhana because uh, the mind is completely absorbed in, uh, in something and it's completely absorbed in, uh, uh, in the object that, it, that it's observing. So in that sense, uh, it is used to describe the, the jhana because it is jhana means also here uh, contemplate, uh, to observe uh, and uh, yes, to meditate. So it is, uh, it is having uh, the object, the nimitta, uh, uh, all the time in the mind. So what does it mean? Is uh, So that means the mind is absorbed in the object. And uh, to describe the process, we can say that uh, normally the mind is not uh, fully absorbed. Normally the mind cannot absorb uh, uh, to that level of depth because uh, the mind normally uh, deals on, uh, on the sense base. That means we are uh, superficially distracted or superficially uh, awake to the field of consciousness, the field of sensual uh, consciousness. So the mind has not the possibility to detach itself enough or to, uh, to withdraw itself enough so that uh, the impact of the uh, five sense uh, contact is, uh, is cut off or it, it greatly diminished. And then also because of that, the mind has not the possibility to, to, to get free from that uh, attraction, to get free from uh, this distraction. So uh, the, the absorption itself consists is in, the, in a pure mental process that is using also a pure mental object on which it can stay for a long time without any uh, distraction from the other five senses. So we have six senses including the mind. So when we are able to block or to, to diminish the, the activity of the five sense uh, base, then the sixth sense, the, the mind base, is, uh, is able to continue on the, by itself without, uh, without interruption. And normally, uh, the sense sphere consciousness is, is, is functioning in a way that uh, it is always interrupted by other consciousness. So consciousness is... Uh, uh, consists like the Ebidama will say that uh, uh, one conscious consciousness process, one, like a one door conscious process, consists of uh, 17 mind moments. That is, the, the, the mind is arising 17 times. Uh, and then also it is uh, dealing with the, 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 the specific uh, sense object which uh, initiated that, uh, that uh, stimulation and also uh, on which the door, on which the, consci the, the consciousness. Uh, uh, establish a dynamic of processing. So first you have the, uh, the stimulation that you get from a specific sense, then the mind assimilate it, accept it, analyze it, and then after that there are some uh, mental uh, impulsions. That is, the mind is, is reprocessing the whole process. So the whole uh, one sense door, for example, one mind moment in a specific sense door, like for example the eye, if you see something, then the process itself consists of uh, 17 mind moments. And then after 17 mind moments, the mind goes back into Bhavanga, that is the, the life, uh, the life uh, cont continuum, or the, some say the unconscious. So, but it's not really unconscious, but the mind the goes, uh, goes off from that, and then it repeats again, either with the, sensor, the same uh, sense door, that is the, like if we speak about the uh, eye consciousness, then either with the same sense door, and then with the same object, huh? and then for another 17 mind moments. And then again, it can repeat again and again with that same object until it has uh, uh, assimilated properly. And then the more the repetition is with the same sense door and then with the same object, the more also the, uh, the, the object itself uh, becomes uh, refined with the, per with, uh, the, the different conception that, uh, that we make out of it. But the point is that uh, the sense consciousness are interrupted by 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 uh, by moments of uh, bhavanga, huh? and also sometimes it is interrupted by other sense uh, consciousness. So if you look at something, then at the 
uh, just almost immediately, then the, you, you will be distracted by a sound. And so when we look very closely to, to the process of our mind, we see that the uh, mind is arising so fast, but it's not only on one door, the five senses and also the mind, the mind sense is, is working. So uh, it is always interrupted. Whereas when somebody has been able to uh, to develop the mental uh, concept on which uh, on which to anchor its mind, on which uh, to uh, to to be fully uh, uh, fully absorbed, then then that uh, that strength or that power is uh, is strong enough to keep the mental impulsions running for from for a long time without any interruption. So that's why people who are able to get in deep jhana, then they are not distracted by other senses. And uh, a way to describe it, a way to describe it will be uh, like uh, in the airport or in some big places. You have those, uh, you know, those uh, type of um, what to say, not the sidewalk or how how would you say? You know, it's like a, uh, the, the 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 carpet is moving. How do you call that? A moving sidewalk. Yes, yeah, so let's say a moving sidewalk. So uh, the, the normal uh, process that we have is, okay, now like one step, one step, so we need to walk. Huh? So every time uh, when the step is down there on the, on the floor, then the, 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 a new mental process is arising. And then when the, the leg lifts up, it's more rapid, like, it's more rapid than that. It's more speedy, like, uh, but just for a comparison. Hmm? Uh, uh, the, the lifting of the leg will be okay. Now the mental process is going on that on the 17 mind moments, and then it touches the floor again, huh? and then it repeats itself again. So always it needs to touch the floor to proceed and to go on. But uh, when uh, somebody has uh, developed a, a, a mental image or a mental concept or a mental uh, uh, kind of uh, Yes, something, uh, something playing the same uh, role as a as a nimitta or uh, something a concept. Actually, it is just a concept. So when we are able to concentrate deeply on a concept, then uh, it is like uh, when you come when you reach the the, the side uh, walk, the the, the the moving sidewalk, then you don't need to step again. So you can even stay on only one leg and you will still proceed and go on. And then with the same object, that means the same floor. But actually the floor will, be, will just be going on. So for, at that time you don't need to activate the process of uh, keeping the same object or it is just you can keep it for a long time without any interruption. So, so I don't know if this describes uh, uh, the experience uh, subjectively enough, but uh, uh, and then how is mindfulness known? So at that time, mindfulness itself is knowing. So mindfulness is knowing the object. So at that time, instead of having many objects of uh, of attention or many object of uh, uh, knowing, the mindfulness is able to stay with the ab- with that object and know it, and know it uh, totally, just to to be. Uh, mindful of uh, the, that very object uh, uh, that the mind is uh, is is having. So mindfulness is known. Like if you uh, if you reflect on the dhyana factors or if you reflect on on the experience itself, then mindfulness will know mindfulness, or mindfulness will know the mental process uh, in which uh, mindfulness is also uh, part of. So in that sense also mindfulness is a, a, this is the role of mindfulness in the subjective experience of absorption. (coughs) What is the difference, the relationship between the path and the fruit? So the difference is that uh, the path is the first time that uh, someone uh, experience, uh, realize or see Nibbana. And then the fruit is that uh, 
uh, that same experience can be repeated and also can be uh, uh, experienced again. It is a little bit also the, 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 the process of uh, the path and the fruit is, uh, is very similar to the jhana. That means uh, Nibbana becomes the, the object of, uh, of the path and also the Nibbana as an object becomes the uh, object of the fruit. And then when someone experiences pala, that is after the, after the first, uh, the, after the initial uh, encounter with Nibbana, then the following mind moments, they are called the fruits. So uh, once the person has experienced the Nibbana for the first time or for another time or uh, later on, then uh, it's called the fruit. And that, that person is, is able to re-experience the, uh, the same thing but uh, without uh, necessarily the path. So the path will, uh, will be included, but it, it's not going to be a new path. So, uh, so the fruit, when someone experiences the fruit, then uh, it's like a, instead of having a jhana object, then it's the, it is the object of nibbana. If a stream enterer takes the rebirth as a human, is, is he or she born a stream enterer? Yes, once it is, uh, once uh, someone has achieved the uh, uh, the stream entry or whatever attainment uh, in the field of the vipassana or insight, or then it is it is there for uh, all the other existence. That's why uh, actually the, uh, uh, they say that uh, once someone has attained the the the, the path entry or the path uh, sotapanna, then there is no more than seven lives uh, to come after that. So uh, that means uh, if someone is reborn, then the, f the, the, the experience or the, 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 the maturity of a sotapanna will, will be there again. And then if the person attains a sakadagami or anagami, then again, uh, whatever is the next existence, then that fruit uh, will be there in the path also is going to be there. So also the number seven, they say, uh, uh, regarding uh, someone who has uh, attained sotapanna, uh, it is why they say that there is no more seven life. There is no, speci no specific meaning in the number. In the number, it is just a, it is just a, an approximate evaluation that once as once somebody uh, has attained that, then the the karma has not enough force to lead one to a, redu a renewed existence for uh, for more than seven life. So the meaning, the 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 the, the, the number itself, uh, is not uh, it's not uh, it's not a specific symbol, or I don't think it is attached to anything particular. How should we contemplate the Dhamma teaching you give while keeping our meditation object, or should we just listen and allow them uh, to integrate on their own? So whatever you hear, then uh, if the, that hearing is a, consists of uh, knowledge and something that you want to learn, then uh, this becomes your meditation object. And uh, if we are talking about uh, a, a specific teaching, uh, to remember what has been taught is important. And then to evaluate it also, whether it makes sense to us, or whether it is senseless, it is also important. So a part of this discrimination from the beginning uh, has to be there. So if it is useless, if it is meaningful, then we remember it, and then also we can, we, we can investigate it you know, on a logical uh, aspect. And also, if it's a deep teaching, then it can be integrated uh, with our practice. Either it's a practical uh, sense, Either it, 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 if it is practical advice, then you 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 learn, you remember. Okay, now if if someone is teaching you, uh, I don't know anything, cooking, then then you have to remember. Okay, now at first the, the first they put the flour flour there, and then they put the salt, and then they mix all things like this. So you have to you have to watch, and then you have to listen, and then you you have to remember, and then you have to do it again for yourself. So. In that sense, if it is a technical explanation, uh, then this is how you have to proceed. So that means also that uh, the mind is, uh, is listening. And the mind also 
is uh, on the mood of, uh, I mean, the mood of investigation. So this is a little bit different. So you cannot, uh, if you judge, that if you are not interested, then you keep to your meditation object. And if it is, if it is a, a samatha object, then you can you can make make a abstraction of uh, what is uh, of what is being uh, what is being uh, talked. Also, sometimes if you just uh, listen to anything that is meaningful and allow what is said uh, to integrate into your practice, then uh, I think uh, sometimes. The, there can be an intuitive uh, assimilation of what is being said because words are just meaning. Words, words are just uh, uh, concepts that, 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 that vehiculate an ID, and the ID is an experience. So if someone is able to, to, uh, to connect with the experience, then much better. So the words are used to describe a reality. So if someone is able to come to a reality and also if what is being transmitted relates to a deep reality, then to be able to connect that with our uh, heart, or with our self, then it's, uh, uh, it is much better. Can you give some advice on developing equanimity, especially towards our practice. So first we have to, it's interesting I think to, to remind ourselves what is the meaning of equanimity and uh, the meaning is from the word upekka and upekka is a division of uh, upa ikshati. So upa means above and ikshati means to see. And then it conveys like, it, it, it means to see from above. So it conveys a sense of observation. So if we have that the sense of observation of something very specific, then uh, we are developing equanimity. So uh, now I maybe to try to make a parallel with the English uh, wording etymology. And uh, observation means to see and then to observe, but also to observe something, uh, and the something is, is a spectacle, or it's, al it's also included in a scope. So we have a scope, huh? so we are looking at something. So if the object that we are looking at is very clear, then uh, we are able to develop the equanimity towards the object. And uh, and, uh, and expectation is the worst thing for equanimity. Why? Because you are not looking anymore to the object. You are looking to what you are expecting out of the experience. So, the word expectation means X to be out, and spectrum, expectation, means to be out of scope. So that means you are not using your scope properly. And then you are looking aside. And <laughs> so uh, if we have expectations, that means we are a little bit missing the, uh, the, the, the practice of equanimity. If we lack mindfulness of knowing, okay, now what are we uh, observing? Then also it is weakening uh, the state of equanimity. So to, be de to develop that state of observation is very uh, uh, important. And to know how to do it also uh, involves uh, patience. And also it involves time. Like uh, as soon as we are projecting something in the future, then we are having an expectation. So when we are having an expectation, we make it a goal. And then when we have a goal, we miss what we are here, what we have here. So we want to go there. So uh, the expectation, that makes us run from here to there is what brings us lack of equanimity because we are on a mood to go elsewhere. So if the mood is to go elsewhere, that means we are missing totally what is going on now. So this is how we can develop equanimity is by being able to, to know what is now and then also to be able to maintain a state of observation. Equanimity also is uh, related to the mental balance of, uh, of the mind, like the, it is perfectly balanced. 
like the, the another word for equanimity, which has a, a kind of synonym, is the uh, tatra majatata. That means uh, here and there, and there, to be in the middle, you know, just to be in the middle of uh, of extremes. So when the mind is perfectly balanced, it is also uh, uh, a state of equanimity. So I think that's a, that's clear enough, no? Like we have to practice, we have to be patient, and we have to uh, just to allow ourselves to 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 be with what is there. And this is what sometimes is difficult because uh, we don't want the things to be as they are. So we are projecting, and then we 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 go out of balance. So it's nice to have a goal. It's uh, it's it's good. It's important to have an aim somewhere. But uh, the aim actually should be to uh, to put the proper conditions that uh, that we that will permit our, ourselves to achieve the goal. So this is uh, the state of equanimity. Also, that's why equanimity is uh, very often associated with wisdom, because wisdom, because observation means that uh, you know the situation so well that you know the way uh, out, or you know how to handle the the, the situation in the way that uh, you are aspiring to. So. Uh, so if we have equanimity, we can uh, we can be in a position to 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 bring more balance to our practice. Here I have a question about parami. If a yogi wants to attain one of the magacitta, does he need to make aspiration for fulfillment of paramis? Uh, I think the aspiration has to be in regard uh, obtaining maga chitta or obtaining the, the, the goal will be uh, maga chitta, for example. And uh, uh, the f- uh, to make the aspiration to fulfill the paramis, is, uh, the paramis will be the, the, the mean by which uh, your attainment or your realization is going to be supported. So uh, by aspire, aspiring to, uh, to get that uh, high state of mind, uh, you put the conditions uh, together. That means you are you are fulfilling you are fulfilling the paramis because this is the, the because the paramis are going to uh, to lead you to your uh, to your goal. How many kinds of parami does yogi need to attain sota pati maga? So I think all the paramis. Sometimes the paramis are explained by a number of seven. Sometimes by a number of ten. And uh, all have to be uh, developed because they all uh, combine, uh, all, they all uh, complete uh, each other. So the question should be to which extent the, the paramis have to be developed, not uh, how many kinds. So how does a yogi make an aspiration? Uh, it is by defining uh, uh, your goal precisely. And uh, and then and then the, the the wish to attain that goal should be strong enough, and it should be sincere. And uh, so the, the 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 stronger the aspiration is, and also the clearer the the, the your aim is, the 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 more strength your aspiration will uh, will be. So also. Uh, like depending, like uh, in the in the traditional context, uh, you probably know the stories of, uh, like they say about developing paramis and those who are developing uh, paramis in order to attain uh, a special status in the, you know in the Buddha's uh, dispensary. So, like if they want to be chief disciple or this type of disciple, so they need uh, a more uh, a bigger amount of uh, of perfection. And uh, so to uh, to make that type of aspiration is needed. They say that uh, you need to meet a Buddha, and then also to have uh, make uh, the, to have made the, the the aspiration in front of uh, of a living Buddha, and then and then you carry on developing the paramis until uh, your wish is is, uh, is fulfilled. 
like there are stories of, uh, of uh, the previous Buddhas that they, they had met the Buddha at a certain point in history and uh, although their insight was uh, already very developed and very uh, mature uh, because of the inspiration the Buddha gave them then they thought, oh, I want to, be, I want to do the, that same thing. That means uh, develop my qualities to such an extent that I can serve uh, the, the, the world uh, like uh, the Buddha that I am seeing now. So uh, to be a Buddha, for example, needs a lot of uh, special quality. And uh, then, then also to, to make the aspiration uh, in front of a Buddha, to make the wish and the determination in front of a Buddha is, uh, is necessary in some cases to, uh, to, to be a genuine, uh, you know, to be a genuine, uh, just to be the genuine uh, uh, disciple, yes. Not disciple, but uh, some, some conditions, they need to be very specific. Like if you want to be a chief disciple, for example, then you need a lot of, uh, of uh, qualities to fulfill that. So uh, if you have not made a wish in front of a Buddha in previous lives, then the aspiration may not be uh, as uh, strong or it may not be as uh, genuine as uh, if you have uh, done it in front of a Buddha. Do you have a question? Well, uh, how many incalculable periods to become a Buddha or yes. uh, to be like, inspired to be a chief disciple? Yes. Well, but there are definitely, uh, definitely qualities among human, human beings. So where do they come from? They don't necessarily come from the right at the birth. They are not naturally uh, acquired. So they say that uh, it is acquired from life to life. And people also remember, uh, obviously, remember their past life. So they know that uh, the experience they had in their past life brought them the maturity of uh, what they have in this life. And we have some people that are very gifted in, in some specific field, but uh, it didn't come like that. It became because uh, uh, they had worked that before. So like this, uh, uh, we can say that the preparation is needed and also uh, the scope has to be uh, seen with a lifetime perspective, not only in this life, you know. The parami should not be uh, seen only and limited to this life. It has to, to be reported with uh, many lives, you know. So to which extent uh, the, 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 the amount of eons or the amount of b millions of life or the, the number is necessary, uh, it's not, uh, I don't think it's that necessary to identify and to be, uh, again, very specific with the zeros. So can yogi, can a yogi decide by himself whether those paramis are fulfilled? Uh, yes, we can decide by ourselves, and also not only that, but we can test it, because uh, paramis is like uh, also the credit you get in your bank account. So when you have a lot of paramis, then uh, things you want to achieve uh, comes to come to be achieved very easily because you have work, uh, you have a lot of uh, things that you have done that will support your wish. And this we can see in our life. People have it uh, relatively easy because they have worked a lot, you know. They have developed such good qualities that uh, everything they wish, it, it comes to be, uh, uh, to be accomplished. So same thing with ourselves, like if we want to uh, if you, it's like if you are, want to buy something, like if you want to buy a very high luxury car, and uh, you go to the uh, to the agent, you know the the, the 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 shop there, and then you come with your credit card and you say, I want that very expensive uh, racing car, you know, with uh, with uh, everything, uh, you know. <laughs> so they will say, okay, okay. <laughs> if they check your, your credit card and they say, well, sorry, you know, if your bank account cannot supply, cannot afford, they, I don't think they will give it to you. But we never know. But uh, <laughs> you can try. So if it doesn't work, that means you have to work a little bit more to fulfill your, uh, your bank account. So like that, we can see if uh, our paramis are, are fulfilled enough. If we see that now we are struggling, and I mean, uh, sometimes if the, uh, anything we want to achieve is not uh, coming to ripening, then that means 
we need to give it time to, to mature by itself and also we need to work on our qualities that will permit the things to, uh, to happen uh, naturally when everything is mature. Also depending on our aspiration, sometimes we can have a very high aspiration to be uh, you know, a chief disciple or something very important in the, uh, uh, well, in the Buddha's uh, dispensation, but sometimes also it is possible to say, to relinquish you know, the, the two high expectations or the two high wishes and then to, 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 uh, uh, to come to another type of, uh, to change our aspiration, it is also possible. So in that case, uh, in that case, uh, uh, you may not need as much uh, paramis. So it is, uh, sometimes it is possible. So depending on what is your wish, then also the, the, the paramis or the, the credit that you have, uh, accumulated will, will support uh, the re realization. In Asia, people chant loudly with a lot of vigor, vigor and strength. Could you explain the significance and the meaning behind chanting and to help, to help inspire us to do, to do the same? So there are many ways of uh, chanting, there are many meanings also behind, behind uh, chanting. If we speak about the Buddhist uh, chanting itself, what is important there is to understand the, the, the chanting in the Buddhist tradition came to uh, uh, live or came to be a tradition because uh, uh, the texts were repeated. So uh, what was important there is the meaning that we are attributing to the text we are repeating. This is the first criterion for, for the Buddhist uh, teaching. That means the, the meaning of the repetition, the meaning of the chanting is what is most important. And uh, so once the meaning is, is, is understood properly, then we chant it with uh, trying to, to incorporate it in, uh, into ourselves. So the meaning also is that uh, if we understand the words we are repeating by chanting, then it also brings our mind to that, uh, to that uh, what it represents. So if, if the chanting is representing a spiritual teaching, then we attune our mind to, uh, to that. So attuning also is uh, relating, attune means uh, to, to, to tune your mind or to tune your radio to a wave length. Huh? So we attune our mind to, uh, to the depth or to the, uh, to the teaching that it represents. If the practice lacks PT and Sukha, what can be done? Uh, actually, like uh, maybe nothing can be done or something, but actually uh, ex stopping having expectation because the, here the question also seems to bring a kind of a state of dissatisfaction by the fact that the PT and Sukha is not there. So you want to be, you want to do something in order to, to, to have something that is not there. So is it, uh, are we dissatisfied or do we have expectation that pity and sukha should be there? And do we have the frustration or the, the, the bad feeling of uh, not having uh, the, 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 the pity and sukha? Because sometimes pity and sukha will not be there. There are stories. Uh, in the, in the text, uh, and there are, there are real stories that speak about people on a spiritual journey and uh, they relate the difficulty that some of them were having. And, uh, and uh, sometimes it was quite, uh, it was not necessarily always uh, full of joy and, uh, and, and fun and pleasure. And 
There was, for example, a case, I don't remember where it is, but uh, there is the story of uh, someone who became a monk, and I think he had practiced for, for a long time, at least a few decades, and he was, his practice was not going anywhere, so he was very much discouraged. And uh, at a certain point, he decided to, uh, uh, to go to the forest. So he just went by himself, and uh, he just secluded himself in the forest. And there, he was alone. And then he started to cry and cry, you know. And then at a certain point he stopped. And, uh, and then he, he was hearing, crying everywhere, you know. Or he was hearing crying in the woods. So he was, he was, uh, he was worried. He, he was thinking, what is this crying all about? And... Uh, Finally, a deity, you know, uh, a salutary being or a spirit came to him and uh, said, It's us, we are crying with you because uh, for decades we have been following you and then we try to emulate and to, to do exactly what you are doing and uh, we have a lot of inspiration, a lot, a lot of hope for, for, uh, that you are going to attain your, uh, your goal. So now you are crying, so we are crying also. So when he realized that, he stopped crying immediately, and then he came back to serious to 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 to, to the fact. Okay, now there is no need to cry. You know, the situation can be tough, or it can be uh, uh, seems to be hopeless and uh, without uh, I mean, uh, obvious uh, result. But uh, it's not by crying that I'm going to to achieve my aim. So, uh, so. Uh, so then the, the pity in the sukkah was not there. And then when we come back to our job, you know, when we come back to our practice with more patience, and then to, with knowing that, well, to, to get out of somewhere or to, to, uh, to, get, uh, to get more wisdom and to get some more development is to understand the situation. So by being, by being more mindful and coming back very patiently to our meditation, then that by itself is going to be a source of pity and so on. Sometimes also just to accept the, 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 the trouble, the, the, the mess in which we are, uh, if we are able to get a sense of, object, uh, of objectivity, then it's really peaceful. Because uh, in life, uh, what is important is not the state, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, no? it's easy to say, but uh, uh, they say that uh, what is important is not what we uh, not what we get, but how it affects our mind. And also, what is our attitude towards what is happening to us? So whether we are in the, in the, in the bliss of heaven or in the misery of hell, what is important is the attitude we have when we are experiencing these things. And a healthy attitude will bring, uh, I mean, a sense of, uh, of contentment and a sense also of, uh, of acceptation, of acceptance towards... Uh, what is there, then that, that sense of acceptation of any kind of uh, difficult uh, uh, situation brings uh, some type of, uh, of uh, pity and sukha. Another one is, uh, why does the Buddha ask a group of bhikkhus accomplishing the three trainings if uh, impermanence is sukha or dukkha, and if it is sukha, is it uh, is a type of or subset of dukkha? You know that uh, quotation from the. They say, okay, now is the. Uh, if if impermanent is sukha or dukkha, or and uh, if a sukha is a type of a dukkha. Do you understand? Do you know what uh, the question refers to? No. So. Yeah, yeah, you please repeat it. Um, when the Buddha wants to bring someone who's highly trained, like, like his son Rabula, yes. or a group of bhikkhus yes. in the final stage of, yeah. of uh, arhatship, yes. which is whatever is subject to arising, the subject to ceasing, yeah. he ask them a series of queries yes, regarding yes. the five khandhas. Yes, yes. His form permanent or impermanent, yeah. is what is impermanent, sukkha or dukkha. So the question is asking, why is the Buddha asking, not like an ordinary common fool, but someone who's accomplished, if what is impermanent is sukkha or dukkha, 
if sukkah is uh, sukkah is a type of the third type of dukkha, the sankara dukkha. So whether it's sukkah or dukkha, it's dukkha, because sukkah is always dukkha. So why is he asking? I mean, te 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 technically, sukkah is also the necessary condition for the second type of dukkha, the dukkha of change. But basically, uh, why is he asking that question? Because either way, if it's dukkha, if impermanence is dukkha, it's dukkha. And if it's sukkah, it's dukkha. Yes. So why is he asking the question? Because you mean, do you mean, why is he asking the question to accomplish uh, people? Or why is he asking the question altogether? Why is he asking the question altogether to this someone who would, like this person who knows sukkah is dukkah, so why is he asking is what is impermanent sukkah or dukkah? Like I think. Either way. Yeah. Uh, if sukkah is a type of dukkha, if yeah. sukkah is a, a, yeah. a type of sankara, yes, 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 yeah. Then why is the Buddha making a false distinction between saying, "Well, is it this or that?" Because if it's sukkah, yes. it's going to be dukkha, and obviously, if it's dukkha, it's dukkha. He's giving them two choices, but it's really just one choice. Yes, but it refers to. The, it, it does not refer to the sukkha of the of the sukkha vedana. It ref, it refers to the sukkha of the sukkha vedana. So somebody, someone is experiencing sukkha. Huh? Yes. So that sukkha itself is, as you say, it is the it is uh, yes, it is sankara or viparinama dukkha. So because it is changing, then it's not sukkha. So although the the the, the experience is 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 pleasant. Because it has the potential to, to be uh, to change, mm -hmm. then it is dukkha, and also because it is conditioned, also exactly. it is dukkha. So all the experiences are come to be dukkha, exactly. huh? and also the, the the thing also that is coming uh, at the end is okay. Now what is dukkha? Because everything is finally only dukkha. So self. if you yeah, so it is not self. So so this is the so this is the progression. He wants to come to uh, to the realization of non-self, and, uh, and then this comes the last. But he deals with the beginning, with the fact of impermanence, and the impermanence towards uh, pleasant or unpleasant sensation. Anything will be uh, if it is impermanence, then it is uh, it is uh, suffering. It is uh, it is dukkha, and then if it is dukkha, that means it's not in your control, and uh, that means also that uh, it's anatta. But he says that not to accomplish a person. He says that to people who are still in training. So he can say that to uh, to Rarula, who might uh, have been already a sotapanna, or to other uh, people who have already uh, uh, shown a deep understanding towards the path and a deep uh, commitment towards the path. But uh, still, these people are not accomplished completely. So then he will remind them just to just to to to. to to be disenchanted with uh, with the with the sankara, with the with the formations, and to realize uh, more the the the, the reality of uh, non-self. Is it? <laughs> Is it possible that one might become uh, very concentrated and still not get a visual nimitta? Uh, yes, it is possible. It is possible if the mind is very clear and then the, the mind knows uh, what is being observed, then uh, then the visual nimitta may not appear. And also someone practicing insight uh, may have the mind really concentrated, and but because the object is, uh, is uh, still in the field of... Uh, uh, impermanence and uh, reality, then uh, it cannot come to uh, to full uh, concentration. But uh, if we are talking about uh, about the the specific uh, samatha exercises and specific uh, samatha uh, meditation, uh, still, if someone is not having a visual nimitta, it is still possible to have a deep uh, concentration. Like the idea behind the nimitta is that uh, uh, the mind is able to grasp the mental 
object. So if the mental object has come to be formed, has come to be perceived from a tactile experience, that is from a, a felt uh, feeling, then that experience itself can, can be reinterpreted by reinterpreted by the mind and then it can become a, a mental object and in that sense it's uh, it's uh, the beginning of a nimitta and that nimitta will transform itself and then become uh, i mean it's not a visual but it's a, it's a mental uh, it's a mental it's a mental image that uh, someone uh, can uh, can develop and also sometimes uh, people think that uh, that they don't have an imita and uh, because they are expecting something else than the imita but uh, actually some people have reported uh, deep experience of meditation and then because they have not been able to identify their object properly then they had not realized that uh, actually they had already an imita but they didn't know so they reported about uh, seeing the, the object of the breath, the breath itself was very clear or the object of meditation was very clear and then it became a kind of more bright or but but because it was not uh, uh, described properly then the, the person didn't know that actually it was an imita. Sometimes also states like uh, if someone is practicing the, the meditation on metta bhavana the object of the meditation on loving kindness and compassion and all the bhavana is uh, is an imita and it's not an imita. That means uh, the object is the beings in general. So beings are not uh, classified as nimitta. So they are uh, having the same role, but it's not an imita. So uh, so the perception of beings, like if someone is practicing uh, metta bhavana, the perception of beings. Uh, come to be uh, the representative of, uh, or comes to have the same role as the limita will have, for example, with meditation like anapanasati. Uh, so the mind can be absorbed, the mind can have uh, that quality of, uh, of concentration with some, something that is, uh, 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 that, that have come to be uh, a mental representation on which the mind can really uh, stick, you know, without, uh, without distractions. Are there some people unable to get a visual nimitta? Yes, there are, uh, there are many people who are unable to get a visual nimitta, so don't be uh, disappointed. And sometimes also it takes time to, to get a visual nimitta. We, there are stories, we have stories, and uh, we know people who are practicing for years, you know, even monks, and they don't get uh, the nimitta. And then after many years of practice, of, uh, I mean, a monk is, uh, is completely dedicated to the practice without too much of uh, responsibilities and so even in the, in these cases uh, uh, in some cases it takes it can take here to 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 get a, a visual limit so so practice is uh, the continuous practice will, will bring the fruit but if we don't have the expectation oh now i should have a limit and then i don't get a limit then you we are going astray from uh, from the practice itself so by uh, by giving quality to our meditation, by giving quality to what is happening, to the observation we have, to to uh, to our meditation, then uh, that itself will also uh, be a nimitta. It may not be a visual nimitta, but it may be a nimitta. Like another definition of nimitta also is a uh, is a samatha nimitta, and samatha nimitta that means the sign of the mind that is concentrated. So that means if someone is having the, the jhana factors or is having all the faculties very balanced and the mind is very clear and also one-pointed, you know, the not distracted, then this is the sign of, uh, of concentration. So it is the beginning, it's just the characteristic. It is just the characteristic that the meditation is, is progressing well. So when someone is having that, uh, the sign that the, the, the mind is uh, is a is a well composed and uh, tranquil and uh, concentrated. Then eventually the object, which is uh, going to represent uh, what the mind is going to, to 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 depend on, will be more clear and clearer. And then eventually also it can be uh, 
it can become a, a visual uh, or at, le at least a mental, uh, a mental symbol. So the idea of having a mental symbol is very important. I have heard the term uh, Chitta Sankara, heart perceptions. I am not sure if I am clear on its uh, meaning. So the term uh, Chitta Sankara, we have seen that the Chitta can refer also to heart, you know, so mind, heart, also is a synonym for Chitta. And then uh, Sankara here, uh, Sankara will be a formation, so mental formation. Uh, will apply to a uh, definition of, uh, of uh, Chitta Sankara. But uh, in some texts, you know, like Anapanasati, there are three types of Sankara that are mentioned. So first there is the Kaya Sankara, then the Vachi Sankara, and then the Chitta Sankara. So that means the formations. So Kaya Sankara will, will refer in the context of Anapanasati to the in-breath and out-breath because the in-breath and out-breath is related to the, uh, to the body. So by itself, it is a body, uh, bodily formation. So also by itself, it, it cannot go without the bodily formation. So someone who is practicing Anapanasati, uh, the Kaya Sankara will be mostly the, the breath itself. And then the Vati Sankara, that means uh, the mental, that means the formation of speech, will refer not to speech itself, but to the root of the speech. And the root of the speech is the, 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 the application of the mind and the, 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 the discursive thinking. So uh, this will refer to the Vati Sankara, that means the, 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 the formations that are related, that will motivate uh, the actual uh, verbalization. And then the Chitta Sankara, the third one, will refer here to, uh, to the feelings or Vedana, and then the perception. So, uh, Chitta Sankara in that context refer to uh, Vedana and Sanya. So, uh, here the translation of heart perception is a correct one. So, uh, so I, I hope that uh, the meaning is, is clear enough. Also, uh, Chitta Sankara. Uh, sankara means formation, so sometimes also formations are divided. Everything can be a form formation. It, it, it is conditioned and it is being formed. So that's why it is called Sankara. So we have the, the classification of Sankara can be divided in, in physical or Kaya Sankara and then also Mano uh, Sankara or Kaya and Nama. And then when it is divided in those two fields, then the what represents the, the mental formations in lobe a lot uh, more than only uh, Vedana and uh, Sanya. It enlobes all the, the, the mental formations themselves without, uh, without too much uh, specification as to, as to perception and feeling. So also uh, here regarding the morning chant, uh, is it necessary to put the lights on before chanting in the morning? Somebody is asking. So, uh, do you need the light? Like uh, the some some uh, good-hearted person puts the light on in case uh, you are not able to see the the sheets. So, do you want? Uh, to, is it necessary necessary for you, or you can do without the light in the morning when the chanting is there? You can do without, huh? So so then we can, we will not put them off. We will not put them on. They, they don't seem to be necessary. So I don't know if you like to investigate, uh, like last week, uh, someone uh, uh, pointed to me that uh, I missed the one question, so I don't know if, we, if you like to uh, investigate that question uh, again, and it was uh, related to the, uh, uh, to this, the sig significance of dedicating merit. So the way it is written, I think uh, uh, it, it, it was not very clearly written, so I did not understand it. So in some traditions it is said to seal the practice, protect it from uh, unwholesome 
process. Is this a usual view? So shall we uh, look at that? <laughs> so I don't know. I, huh? I don't know if I will uh, answer properly uh, because I don't know uh, this tradition so well. I think in some uh, uh, other Buddhist tradition than the Theravada, it is more specific. But uh, what I think about that is that. Uh, So is it, or maybe you can specify more, what, what, what does it relate to, to dedicate the merit? Can, can, can someone just precise about the meaning, if someone has a, has a clue? Yes? Um, in, in the Mahayana tradition, at least, um, and the Mahayana tradition, the notion of dedicating merit is that if you do a virtuous action like Say you practice your meditation at the end, you dedicate, and you don't dedicate to merit. That virtuous action will produce a, a positive result. If you share it, it will. Well, well, even if you don't share it. Yes. If you don't share it. Yes. Yeah. It will produce a positive result. Yeah. Yeah. But once that positive result has been produced, then the merit has been used up. Whereas if you dedicate the merit, for example, to the liberation of all sentient beings, then uh, the positive result of that merit will not be used up until yeah. you attain uh, you know, a much higher state. Yes. yes. Something like that. Okay, okay. So I think it is important. It is important for us to, whatever we do, then we remind ourselves for which purpose we have done it. So. Uh, as it is said here, uh, when we are practicing meditation, then it is very meritorious. So once we have finished uh, our medita- meditation, just to remind ourselves for which purpose we are doing it, and also to remind ourselves that uh, uh, the dedication or also the sharing of merit has some meaning. And uh, the sharing of something also is, uh, is, uh, is, is very strong. And, uh, It is important. It is important to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it is if it can be related to tax. You know, we are in a society, so if we the, the, there is a tax somewhere, so if we pay the tax, uh, then then we are we feel much better. We feel we are contributing to our society. So if we share the merits, then also we are uh, we are contributing to the welfare of uh, every uh, other being. And then also, once we have shared what, uh, what we are having, then we, we have not lost uh, our potential. We still have a, a lot. You know? So then that, the, the fact of having shared it with, uh, with all beings and also to those who have helped us, uh, uh, it, it, it is protecting us because we are free from doubts of, okay, now, have I too much or did I steal anything? Or, so you are free from uh, you are free from uh, any kind of uh, hesitation towards towards it, and then to remind your goal precisely is uh, can be very helpful. Mm. Yes. You said like as the Buddha says, changeless uh, karma, intentionless karma. So when you dedicate the merit, mm. you do that sincerely, since your intention is vast, yeah. the result of the action is, is much faster. Yes. Yes. So because the, the uh, as he says, uh, when you expand, when you share your merit, then the, the, the fact of expanding uh, the, the merit that you have, uh, it, has, uh, it, is more, it has more strength. And it is it becomes more powerful because you have expanded it. It's like having a candle. So if you just have one candle, uh, it's good. You, you you work to get your fire. But with the same candle, if you light uh, many other candles, then you still have your candle. But the the light that will be produced will be more uh, strong. But you will not have lost anything. So when you share merit, you don't lose much. You don't lose anything actually. But the strength of your uh, of your light becomes uh, more powerful. So I think it is important to to have that in view, and also it can it can it can bring us uh, more uh, a sense 
a deeper sense of purpose because we are not uh, working only for ourselves. So that uh, that perspective is uh, sometimes more motivating because if we just work for ourselves, then we can we can lose uh, we can lose uh, our enthusiasm. But if we know, no, we are. It's not uh, it's not only for ourselves. So when we remind us. Uh, when we remind ourselves that the purpose is not only, I mean, it's not only a selfish purpose, but also it concerned, uh, uh, it can be, uh, it can be beneficial to uh, all other beings. Then the motivation gets uh, our st against it gets some strength because we feel ah, we, we the motivation is, uh, can be more powerful. <coughs> so I think this is all. Huh? Also, we have to remind ourselves that uh, it's a long run, you know, it's a long run process, so we have to be careful to adjust our efforts and to know, okay, now I am uh, doing the practice, but uh, uh, on a long run, so we don't need to exhaust ourselves with too much uh, exer exertion. We have to really to balance uh, our efforts so that uh, we, can, we can keep uh, the effort going on for uh, for a considerable, considerable length of time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.